and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures with you this evening, our text is in the back of the order of worship. Uh, I'm going to try and keep my comments brief, and then we'll read the text. It's uh, another long reading from Daniel this evening. Uh, I want to remind you, though, that we are uh, right here at chapter 7 making that transition. All the famous stories from Daniel that you remember as a, as a kid, the Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, those are in the first half of the book. Uh, I don't ever remember a flannel graph on Daniel 7 in my children's ministry. Uh, it would have been interesting if they had, but uh, the rest of the book is uh, its really a change in genre. We've been, for the most part, in what we would call narrative, uh, and the rest of Daniel is apocalyptic. Uh, and so uh, apocalyptic literature is literature that looks to the end of the world, uh, reminding us as Christians that God is sovereign, that though there is a work God is doing in the world now, it is not a, a cycle that never ends, but is moving towards an end, uh, what we call a, a telos, a uh, completed uh, uh, accomplishment of what it is that God has ordained for all of redemptive history to terminate in. It's moving towards that. Apocalyptic literature draws our attention to that. It doesn't deny the difficulty of life today. In fact, often it, it emphasizes that difficulty, but it does so always with the backdrop of the hope that is ours in Christ. Always with the backdrop, the reminders uh, that God is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign now and he will be sovereign in eternity. So that even the difficult things that are unfolding in history now are under a sovereign God who has ordained them. We're going to see that uh, implicitly and explicitly in the text this evening. The text breaks into two parts generally. The first 14 verses are a vision that Daniel has. And then beginning in verse 15, Daniel is going to seek an interpretation from an angel. And that's uh, the, the rest of the chapter. I do want to draw your attention to the fact, though, that uh, Daniel, and particularly the back half and chapter 7, uh, have often been the, uh, the source of a great deal of, of wrestling over trying to identify who these four beasts are in Daniel's vision. Do they represent great men? Do they represent great kingdoms? Uh, they, they certainly represent kingdoms. The text tells us that much. But which kingdoms is the question. We're not going to wrestle with that this evening. And it's not because it's difficult and I don't want to do it. It's because I don't think it's the point. In fact, Daniel's going to go to the angel. Notice as I read, he's going to go to the angel and tell him, tell me more about this fourth kingdom. And the angel doesn't really give him a great deal of new information. He basically just says the same thing with more words, right? He still doesn't identify the kingdom for Daniel, doesn't tell Daniel who that kingdom is. That's not the primary purpose. We're going to see that as we begin to unpack the text tonight. Let me begin reading. I'm going to pray, and then we'll read beginning in Daniel 7.1. Father, as we come to your word this evening, we pray that you would give us insight, that here we would find the comfort and encouragement that's intended for us rather than finding terror in the beasts that are described. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Through the prophet Daniel, God gives us his word. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. 
Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth, that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast... There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kingdoms shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time." But the court shall sit in judgment, 
and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, several things we want to consider with the few minutes we have left this evening. Uh, first are the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world. They're on display in these four beasts. And while there is some detail given and attempts have been made to try and identify these four beasts, and some of them can be more convincingly identified than others, in the end, the, the identity of these four kingdoms is not the point uh, notice that the, the entire second half of the text is interpretation of the vision. And nowhere in the interpretation are we told who the four kingdoms are. It's really not the point of the text. Even when Daniel specifically asks, who is this fourth beast? Tell me more about this fourth beast. The angel that is giving him the interpretation still doesn't satisfy that curiosity. At the end, Daniel says, As for me, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel's wrestling with what he has seen, trying to understand what it is that's happening here. The kingdoms of this world are clearly depicted. And though there, there may be four historical kingdoms that fulfill this, though again, that's not an assured interpretation, Though there may be four, the reality is that what we're being told here is about all of the kingdoms that rise up on the earth that are not God's kingdom. All of the kingdoms of history are represented in these four kingdoms here. And so what do we see about these kingdoms? We see, first of all, that these kingdoms are wicked. Look at uh, verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Now, in the Old Testament, the image of the sea is an image of, of chaos and wickedness. The sea is symbolically the source of evil. And so it's up out of the sea that the four beasts come. And by giving us that detail in his vision, Daniel is making clear to us that these are not godly kingdoms. They may be used by God. They certainly will be. We're going to look at that in just a second. But these are kingdoms that are wicked. They come out of wickedness. Why? Because they, cut, they rise up out of humanity. And we are, because of the fall that we've been studying on Sunday mornings, we are, as a, a body, humanity, we are in rebellion against God inherently sinful. And out of our, our population, out of the, the sea, if you will, of humanity, the only kinds of governments and kingdoms that can rise up that are not God's kingdom and God's government are going to be, by nature, wicked. They may be better or worse, but they are always ultimately opposed to God. We see that these kingdoms rise up out of the sea, and by that we're taught that they are not godly kingdoms. Notice that they are under God's authority. This is one of my favorite details in the text, is there is a, a hidden hand in the text. Look as the beasts are described. Notice all the verbs that don't have an explicit subject. All the action that's performed, and we're not told who's performing it. 
verse 3. The four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. Huh. It doesn't tell us who's plucking the wings off. It was lifted up. Who lifted it up from the ground? It was made to stand on two feet like a man, and a, a mind of a man was given to it. Who's doing this? So much for the first beast. Another beast, a second one, verse 5, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, somebody speaks to the bear with authority and tells the monster, the beast, after this, or it says, uh, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, a third beast. It had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. It devoured and broke in pieces, different from all the beasts that went before it. It had ten horns. We see throughout the descriptions of these beasts, like I said, a, a hidden hand. It's the hand of God. It is God who brings up, who causes to stand. It is God who reduces to nothing, who gives dominion and takes it, who plucks and who establishes. These kingdoms are wicked kingdoms opposed to God, but they are nonetheless under God's sovereign authority, and they are limited in power and endurance. There's perhaps in the chapter nowhere quite as, uh, as clear about the, the uh, infinite power of God over these kingdoms than when we come to verse 11. And, and I, I love the way that Daniel relates this to us. Uh, there's been, uh, we, we've watched four beasts, terrible beasts, rise up out of the sea. Beasts that, that ought to cause terror. There's a, a, a tremendous drama to these beasts coming up out of the sea one after another and destroying and dominating. And then I, I felt it even as I was reading the, reading the text that it's just insufficient almost to read it aloud. Uh, it, you don't get quite the, the impact that must, Daniel must have experienced in verse 9. When turning from the vision of the beasts, he looks and suddenly thrones are placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Daniel describes the Ancient of Days as he saw him and with fire, a, a, a stream of fire issuing out from his throne being served by thousands and tens of thousands and he sits in judgment and the books are opened. In, in contrast, verse 11 is almost comic. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Okay, this is, if we go back to the description, this is the fourth beast with ten horns. But at the end, one horn comes up and displaces three of the others. And this horn is the worst of all. And it is, its mouth is filled with curses and boasting. It is opposed to God and, and for some reason, I, I have the image of a Muppet in my head as this thing, still boasting and cursing, is torn to pieces and thrown into the fire. There's no great exercise of, of God's wrath on display here, right? In, in terms of, of God uh, exerting himself. While he's still speaking, the command is given and it's carried out as if the trash is being taken out. 
God is utterly sovereign. These kingdoms are limited in their power and endurance. They are limited by a sovereign God who is executing His plan and purpose. The kingdoms of this world are wicked. They are nonetheless under God's authority, and they are limited in power and scope and endurance. Second this evening, the kingdom of our God is eternal and all-powerful. Uh, the, uh, the rest of the, the text here, apart from describing the beasts, is, is a text describing God sitting in judgment and Jesus Christ, who is the Son of Man, coming in glory and being given the kingdom and ruling that kingdom together with God's people. Three times we're told in the text that the kingdom is given to us. And over and over again, we are told that the kingdom is eternal. Beginning in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, coming on the clouds of heaven as a divine act. Only God comes on the clouds of heaven, and yet the one coming on the clouds of heaven is described as a son of man. God and man, Jesus Christ, he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. We come back to a description yet again in verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion, that is the, uh, the dominion of the, the, the uh, little horn, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Verse 18, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. You see, the emphasis in the text is one of contrast. We are not intended uh, to be terrified by the beasts, but to be comforted by the truth that the Son of Man reigns and His kingdom is our kingdom, that we are called to reign with Him for eternity, forever, forever, and ever. The kingdom of our God is an eternal kingdom. It is an all-powerful kingdom. It is a kingdom ruled by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and a kingdom that belongs to the saints. This is the message that's given to Daniel here. And so, what's our takeaway this evening from Daniel 7? The kingdoms of this world appear terrible and are permitted for now to do terrible things. But listen, whether it's the, the American government or some European government or North Korea or Russia, whatever government now in the present or in the future that may terrify, that may clearly be opposed to God and opposed to His people, we are called to live in the world as those who know. That, that they answer ultimately to God and that they do nothing. They are permitted nothing apart from God's sovereign permission. God is sovereign over each of the kingdoms of this world throughout history and will bring each to an end no matter how terrible. The saints, those who trust in Christ, the Son of Man, will receive the eternal kingdom. And this should be the source of a sure hope now that puts our fears in context as they did for Daniel. I want to remind you the chapter opens by saying in the first year of Belshazzar. That's not a, a mere historical note for some context, just to, to remind us where we are in history. But remember that Daniel goes into the lion's den in the previous chapter under the Persian Empire. 
Belshazzar is the end of the Babylonian Empire. In other words, what Daniel is given here in this vision is before the lion's den. And though Daniel's troubled, look, it's right. As for me, verse 15, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. And verse 28, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. There is something terrifying about the, the powers in this world, the kings and kingdoms, the governments and the cultures that would seek to, to stand opposed to God and opposed to his people. But with time to consider what he has been told here, this is the Daniel who goes into the lion's den without speaking a word in his defense, with no expression of terror, who's still surrounded by the lions when the king Darius comes back in the morning and says, has your God been able to save you? Says from the lion's den, O king, live forever. Right? Still keeping the, all the, the court niceties. O king, live forever. I'm fine. It's all good. He doesn't say, get me out of here. He doesn't say, oh, thank goodness you've come. He sounds pleased to stay there as long as the king would have him there. O king, live forever. How does Daniel get that way? It's because Daniel has, has been told that God is sovereign even over the nations. He was sovereign over Babylon. He was sovereign over Persia. He was sovereign over the Macedonian Greeks, under, uh, ultimately under Alexander. He was sovereign over the Roman Empire. He has been sovereign over every king and kingdom before and since and will continue to be so until he comes again and chairs are, are set out, thrones are set out, and judgment is established in Jesus Christ. Are we discouraged by the world powers, discouraged by our government, by a culture that rejects God and persecutes His people? Soon thrones will be placed and the Ancient of Days will take His seat and the Son of Man will be given His kingdom which shall never end. Ian Duguid says in his commentary, the challenge of Daniel 7 for us is therefore not to work out the specific identity of the different beasts in case ours should be the final hour. Rather, in the midst of this beastly world, our challenge is to live our lives with our eyes firmly fixed on the heavenly throne room. Instead of being terrified by the beast, we must daily live remembering the one who will deliver the final and decisive judgment. And this is the message for us from Daniel 7. That God is sovereign over all things. That even as these kingdoms are unfolding, it's not just the future promise that God will make everything right in the end. But it is the, the revelation that we have in Daniel that even now as the, these things unfold, God holds these things in His hand. That He's the one that raises up and casts down, that plucks and gives and takes. God is the one who is at work in history to accomplish all of His purposes. And elsewhere in God's Word, we are told in no uncertain terms that God's purposes in the world are to glorify Himself by doing good to and for and through us. Right? God, God is able to do both. Glorify himself and provide for us. This is the God that we worship and serve in the world today. And whose kingdom is coming, which we look forward to. Let's pray.